Good morning, everybody. I'm not Phil Brandt. I'm Bert Garland from Ogletree Deacons, and welcome to This Week at Work. This Week at Work is the only show about the workplace that offers you front row seats and a microphone featuring experts in human resources and employment law to bring you practical, timely, and accurate insights so you can more effectively lead your organization. It's Thursday, October 12th, episode 252. In 2023, employers witnessed a flurry of changes at the state and federal levels. In the dynamic landscape of employment and labor law, staying up to date is not just the best practice. It's a critical necessity for employers nationwide. Today, we'll delve into the heart of one crucial aspect of workforce management, your employee handbook. Christine Cruz from AIM joins us to offer tips and perhaps more importantly, some traps that employers simply can't afford to ignore when updating their employee handbook. And as always, we welcome your questions, comments, and opinions on anything and everything affecting you this week at work. Good morning, everyone. Uh, first, I want to take a quick moment to say that, you know, I've said it before on the show, the technology is great but it's great only when it works. And uh, our co-host here, Phil, is having a little bit of technical difficulty this morning. So uh, I am here this morning to introduce the program. I'm not going to interview myself or anything. Luckily, we have a guest on today, and that's Christine Cruz. Uh, Christine joins us, and she's going to be here uh, to uh, talk to us today about employee handbooks. Uh, we've been, uh, we, we know that the, the uh, Phil is going to be down in Florida a little bit later this month, and they've teased the guests a little bit uh, over the fat, past few episodes who will be presenting with some of the presenters uh, at our at, at Ames Wayfinder Summit coming up on October 27th. Andrew Adenier, who was on the program, I believe that was last week. Wasn't that, uh, Nick, or am I losing track of time? That was two weeks ago. Last week was Ryan Kohler, and we talked AI. And Andrew was right. talking uh, the circle Thank of leadership. You. Yep. So Ryan. So speaking of uh, Ryan Kohler, he'll also be there as well. And then uh, there will be a legal update. Unfortunately, it's not being presented by me, uh, but uh, somebody else down in Florida. And then speaking of Florida, we're uh, very excited, like I said, to welcome back to the show, Chris Cruz, who brings a wealth of knowledge regarding employee handbooks and keeping them current. Welcome back to the program, Chris. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Good morning, Chris. So uh, there, there's Nick. I appreciate that, Nick. So, uh, you know, one, one thing I want to say real quickly is uh, I, I, I broadcast, everybody knows that uh, about this time last year, I broadcast from the uh, city of Jerusalem on a beautiful uh, sunny day in front of the Western Wall. And uh, I just want uh, to acknowledge that this has been uh, personally one of the, the toughest weeks of my uh my life. And, uh, you know, with, with that said, I think we'll move on. It's just been very hard to, uh, to, to pay attention uh, to things going on in the world. But uh, rest assured, we do have lawyer on the clock today. So Nick, if you're ready, let's go with lawyer on the clock. Oh, you, now see when you when you take when you take the seat of the host, you you have it's it's in the, the bylaws that you have to forget to introduce the polls. So you, what I'll do is I'll do you a favor you, you would, and I'll go ahead and introduce you, you, the polls today. 
Thank you. You wouldn't have thought I might have done that on purpose, would you? Have? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. All right. So question number one, do you have a separate procedures manual for supervisors or managers that give guidance on how employee handbook policies are administered? So we're looking if you have a separate manual of how they are administered. Uh, question two, if you operate in multiple states or municipalities, well, that's hard. How are handbooks maintained to reflect differing laws in those areas? So we do have an option if you do not operate in multiple states or municipalities. But uh, if you do, we'd like to get some more details on that from you. And Those are two very, very good questions. And uh, I know Chris will have a lot to say about those as we get, uh, as we get into those polls. Now, with that, Nick, are we ready for lawyer on the clock? I suppose we could do that. All right, it's time to look into what's trending in employment law. Lawyer, you're on the clock. All right, so we've got a couple of topics I want to cover today real quickly. I'm not going to uh, spend spend too much time going through all of the facts of the case, but this is a case that uh, I mentioned before on this program. And yesterday, the uh, city of St. Louis, through its legal counsel, submitted a 66-page brief to the United States Supreme Court, uh, arguing that the Supreme Court should not disturb an Eighth Circuit ruling that a female police sergeant's lateral job transfer did not amount to gender bias. The city of St. Louis argued that changing the federal bias law standard would allow courts to micromanage the American workplaces. This case uh, arose uh, from a case that started in 2018, where the plaintiff in the case, her last name, uh, her name is Jatanya Muldrow. Uh, she brought her case in Missouri State Court in August 2018. It was removed to federal court that December. She alleged that after the arrival of a new supervisor, she was removed from a prestigious intelligence division and placed in a different department where the work was more administrative. And she argues she was that that happened to her because she was a woman. The Eighth Circuit, which is our court of appeals that covers Missouri on the federal level, the Eighth Circuit affirmed summary judgment in favor of St. Louis in April 2022, ruling that the plaintiff had not shown that the reassignment imposed a quote unquote significant disadvantage since her pay and rate didn't change. So the Supreme Court agreed to take up the case in June after uh, the request earlier this year. Uh, the Biden administration weighed in on whether lateral transfers can serve as the basis for the bias claim. In an August brief filed with the U.S. Supreme Court, the plaintiff in the case, Muldrow, argued that the Eighth Circuit added words to Title VII that fly in the face of lawmakers' intentions and that the quote-unquote significant disadvantage standard should be scrapped. So this is going to this case is going to have far-reaching impact for employers across the country, because again, it's the Supreme Court is likely to decide what constitutes an adverse employment action in the discrimination context. Does it really need to have uh, a change in the material terms and conditions of employment, such as employment itself, pay, uh, supervision, benefits? Or can it be something less, such as just a not as desirable job assignment, even though the material terms and conditions uh, did not change? So again, a very, very significant case that the Supreme Court will be deciding 
At some point, what will happen now is that the uh, plaintiff in the case will get to file a reply brief to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court, uh, almost with uh, guaranteed certainty, will set the court case for oral argument, and uh, the Supreme Court will then make its pronouncement on uh, on on what uh, where the law stands on that issue. So that's the first one I have for you. The second one uh, is not entirely unrelated. Nick, I'm going to put you on the spot here, see if you've been paying attention. I've mentioned before that Title VII that covers discrimination in the workplace at the federal level, there's one specific word that's not covered in Title VII or not used in Title VII. It appears nowhere in Title VII. I'm really putting you on the spot here, and I'm going to see if uh, you know the answer to this question. What word never appears in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964? I am going to go with, it depends. <laughs> no, it depends doesn't check work. Your ch check your How chat. How about harassment? Check your chat. How about you harassment, which right. I feel like I'm experiencing right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Well, you are exactly right. The word harassment actually never appears in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, the word discrimination appears in Title VII but the word harassment does not. Harassment is a form of discrimination. And so uh, the, the courts have, have said that Title VII did not need to use the word harassment because harassment in and of itself is a form of discrimination. And so uh, not content with what the courts have said, uh, the EEOC on October 2nd published its uh, proposed guidance entitled Enforcement Guidance on Harassment in the Workplace. That guidance was initially proposed in 2017, but stalled during the change in political administrations. The new proposed guidance reflects changes to the law that have occurred since that time, though the EOC is very quick to note that any final guidance document will, and I'm going to quote this, will, quote, not have the force and effect of law and are not meant to bind the public in any way, end quote. But again, if the EOC is putting this out there as guidance, uh, they're hoping to drive the agenda and get the courts to follow uh, what is in this harassment guidance. So the first, uh, I'm gonna cover just some key provisions and then we'll move forward with our guest. But the first uh, provision is pregnancy and childbirth. So sex-based harassment includes harassment based on pregnancy childbirth, lactation, et cetera, as well as a woman's reproductive decisions. So that's the first area that they're saying harassment uh, can be uh, in, the, in the form of, of uh, pregnancy harassment, childbirth, lactation, et cetera. Sexual orientation and gender identity. In light of the Supreme Court's uh, 2020 decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia, the guidance provides examples of discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, such as intentional and repeated misgendering, as well as the denial of access to bathroom or other sex segregated facility consistent with the individual's gender identity. This one, I can tell you, if they move forward with this, this will one day end up in front of the Supreme Court. There are cases right now, and the law seems to be uh, holding out there that, uh, that, that it would be an, an infringement on people's First Amendment rights for the government to tell 
people that you have to use a person's specific pronoun. So uh, that's where the where the courts seem to be going right now. Uh, two more points. First one is virtual harassment with many employees working remotely. Virtual harassment is actionable and includes comments made during a video meeting, racist imagery that is visible in an employee's work workspace while the employee participates in a video meeting or sexual comments made during a video meeting about a bed being near an employee in the video image. And th these words come from this uh, guidance. I, I did not make that up. So uh, to me, this is these are things that are already included and covered uh, within Title VII, uh, but the EOC nevertheless wants to make it very clear that such comments would be in violation of the law. And then finally, social media, electronic communications, such as texts or posts on social media can constitute harassment if they impact the workplace. The guidance further states that it is increasingly likely that the non-consensual distribution of real or computer-generated intimate images using social media can contribute to a hostile work environment if it impacts the workplace. So anybody who wants to provide feedback to the proposed guidance we really don't have much time to do that. Comments are due to the EEOC by November 1, 2023. So stay tuned and we'll see if that guidance actually becomes uh, effective uh, it's a little bit later this year. And then if the guidance does become effective, we'll wait for the EEOC to start enforcing the guidance and then seeing what happens if these cases end up in court. So that's what I've got today for Lawyer on the Clock and I uh, hope that's been informative to you. And uh, I think with that, uh, what I'd like to do now, even though it's a little bit awkward here, is I think I want to take a, a, a quick look here and get to our uh, employer's lounge and our poll results. So the topic today is, have you updated your handbook recently? Uh, it, we all know that nope. Ames Wayfinder. That, that is not yep. a question we have today. That was in the it was in the pool of possible questions. The, the the two questions that we do have, if you're wanting to look at it, is do you have a separate procedures manual for supervisors that gives guidance on how employee handbook hey, policies? Hey, 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 Nick, I know that's not the poll. I'm just asking the question, have you updated your employment oh, handbook I have not. recently? I have not. Oh, you're asking <laughs> right. the audience. I'm sorry. I thought this show was yes, all about exactly. me. <laughs> so we've, all, we've talked about the fact that uh, – we know that uh, AIM is holding its Wayfinder conference down in Florida pretty soon, and uh, there's excitement of the technology AIM has injected into its Florida operations. They have uh, uh, resources available to help employees with employee handbooks, and one of those resources is, in fact, Chris Cruz. Chris, welcome to the program this morning, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Bert. I appreciate the introduction and uh, your update uh, on what's happening in the world of um, employment law court cases. So today's program uh, is going to focus on uh, updating handbooks. Um, and I'm going to address this first poll question uh, because Bert and I had a conversation prior to the program starting about do we have a separate procedures manual that gives guidance on how employee handbook policies are to be administered? And the reason I asked that question and we're asking that question is I've seen far too many handbooks 
that get into minutiae and detail that don't need to be in there. Um, they're addressing specific um, guidelines as to, for example, Bert, as you pointed out, how we're going to investigate a claim of discrimination. And that detail doesn't need to be in a handbook. It's going to be discoverable. Even your procedures manuals can be discoverable. But Bert, why don't you share with me what you're what you shared, what you spoke to me about prior to this starting? Sure. So, uh, Chris, and, and I appreciate that. So, you and I, uh, what we chatted about is is that let's say that uh, an employer gets a complaint of discrimination or harassment. And if that employee handbook contains all of the minutia and the detail on how an employer is going to commence an, invest, an investigation, what's going to happen is, is that eventually, if you end up in court or you end up in depositions, a plaintiff's attorney is going to pick apart every aspect of that procedure that you as the employer did not follow. It is simply enough for you as the employer to have in your harassment discrimination policy, a statement that says when a complaint of harassment or, or, or uh, uh, discrimination is made, or frankly, any other complaint, the employer will investigate. And that's simply all you need. You don't need to start getting in, into, this is how the employer is going to investigate. We're first going to sit down and interview the person who's been affected by the harassment and discrimination. And then once we do that, we're going to sit down and we're going to go over video evidence and computer evidence. And then we're going to interview everybody who uh, the person says witnessed this. And then not only that, we're going to interview everybody in the whole company. And, you know, you go on, the, the procedure could be endless. And every complaint of harassment discrimination is its own animal and needs to be treated as such. You cannot lock yourself as the employer into a rigid mechanism of what's going to happen when a complaint is actually made. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. In terms of handbooks, procedures, we want to give the employer as much flexibility as possible in administering and making decisions based on their policies. Um, so we don't want to lock ourselves in to something that we down the road can't follow or fulfill. And yeah, actually, and perfect. Yeah, Go I was going to ask a question here, Chris. Since it really, yes. really coming off of that, so you can't you can't cover everything possible, right? That that could happen. So you know, one of the things we're we're curious about is can you address an issue with an employee if it's not covered in the handbook? Does that leave you out? No, nope, absolutely you can address those issues because I am never I am never surprised by the creativity employees can use to push the boundaries of our standards of conduct and behavior and professionalism. So, for example, in all the handbooks I've reviewed, I have never once seen a statement that says Thou shalt not spread feces on the bathroom wall or floor, yet at least once or twice a year, I get a question. We have someone who's spreading feces on our bathroom wall or floor. 
okay, we don't have handbooks that, that address those specific issues. We don't have handbooks that have policies that say you and your coworker can't go into your car in the company parking lot at lunchtime and have sex. Yet here we are dealing with those issues. I don't so know. That again, sounds Florida specific to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Bert. I'm it, guessing you probably fielded some of those questions too. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, well, Chris, I mean, that's why in every employee handbook, I, I do recommend that employers have an anti-species spreading policy. Specific. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but uh, I think you're right that the handbooks need to be uh, broad enough and have certain sections that uh, that, yeah. that that capture those types of misconduct in the workplace. Absolutely. That's why we say in our rules of conduct includes but is not limited to. Again, we want to give the company uh, flexibility. Language. Yeah. Right. So exactly. Um, so, so, Chris, you know, real, I, real quickly, mm -hmm, what yes, real quickly, what what should employers be concerned about with respect to their handbooks right now? What's going on right now that employers need to be paying attention to? Well, right now we have had a lot of legal changes in both federal and and state laws throughout the country. So, for example, earlier this year we had the Pump Act that passed. And it's surprising how many employers don't even have in their handbooks a policy regarding uh, lactation breaks. We need to address that. We have the Pregnant Employee Workplace Fairness Act that passed earlier and went into effect back in June. So just as we tell our employers that, uh, tell our employees that if you need an accommodation under ADA, come discuss it with HR. If you need a religious accommodation, come discuss it with HR. I think we probably need language in our policy to talk about if you're pregnant and need an accommodation, come take to, come talk to HR. Um, and we also have a National Labor Relations Act board that if we've been in HR for a period of time, they have issued recent board rulings from the National Labor Relations Board similar to those that were issued mm, probably around 2012. And those, they're strictly interpreting our handbook policies and are wanting to make sure that our particular policies, especially around confidentiality, personal conduct, conflicts of interest, harassment, don't chill an employee's rights under the National Labor Relations Act. So under President Obama's in LRB, we saw similar board rulings. And now under President Biden's board, we again are seeing similar rulings that affect, may affect some of the policies that we have. Bert, do you have uh, any comments on that? Yeah, I think uh, those employers who revised their employee handbooks back in uh, during the Obama administration and then scrapped those employee handbooks during the Trump administration are, yes. are wise to consider dusting off, off those Obama era employee handbooks uh, and, and using that as sort of the starting point and then updating it with these new laws that you mentioned, Chris. So, yes. uh, you know, so, so that's kind of my thought on that. Chris, what, what 
are what are some of the traps that you see out there right now? Some of the don'ts that employers should uh, be uh, wary of, in addition to making sure their handbook is not full of procedure. Okay. Well, one of the first uh, issues, and it relates to our poll, is if we if we're operating in multiple states or multiple municipalities, we want to make sure that our policies address any specific laws in those areas. So I'm happy to see that in our poll results, our those, poll, yeah, yeah our idea. polls are showing that for those employers that operate in multiple states, multiple municipalities, they have specific policies that address those differing laws, those differing ordinances or state laws. Um, the other thing I, so I'm happy to see that um, in terms of a do and what we want to see included, we want to have a statement in our handbook that a uh, handbook is not a contract. We want to retain the right to change policies, wages, benefits, and working conditions. And I believe, Bert, you were explaining to me that when you have draft acknowledgments for employee handbooks, you like to see three or four separate acknowledgments. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so, you know, most most employee handbooks that I run into have a single uh, acknowledgement, and that's the general handbook acknowledgement that I acknowledge I have received this employee handbook and that it's my obligation to read and understand the, the contents of the employee handbook. And if I have questions about the handbook, I will address those. And oh, by the way, uh, this handbook is not an employment contract. You are an at-will employer. And that's sort of the general uh, employee handbook acknowledgement. And that's important because it acknowledges, it gets the person to acknowledge several things. Number one, that it is their burden to read the employee handbook and understand it. Uh, and number two, it gets that potential contract issue out of the way that the employee handbook is not a contract of employment. It is a handbook and it's meant to inform employees of the policies of the company. It's not meant to create an employment uh, contract or change the at-will nature of the employment arrangement. So that handbook acknowledgement is obviously very important. But there are two, or, or I'm sorry, three, uh, well, two or three other uh, acknowledgements that I recommend being included in a handbook separately from the general acknowledgement. And that is because there are two, three areas where employers are most likely to face litigation. And uh, those areas are, of course, in the area of harassment and discrimination, what I was talking about initially on the program today. Uh, and so I like to have a separate acknowledgement of the employer's uh, harassment and discrimination policy. And the reason for that is, is that that policy places several burdens on the employee, namely the burden for the employee to make a complaint, or if they see harassment and discrimination taking place, they have to bring it to the attention of the employer. And so I want the employee's acknowledgement on that document so that if I'm sitting across from them in a deposition someday or in trial and they say, well, my employer threw this 40-page handbook at me when I signed up for employment and told me I needed to read it, but I didn't read really read everything closely, so I didn't really read this harassment discrimination policy. It is much easier for me then to take out that separately acknowledged harassment 
harassment discrimination policy and then ask the employee, now, isn't it true that during your orientation, your employer actually presented you with this separate policy and you read it and then you signed it, correct? And it makes it much harder for the plaintiff uh, to avoid uh, saying that they didn't know what was in there. The second area where you're uh, highly likely to end up in litigation with employees is related to confidentiality as it relates to the employer's confidential, proprietary, and potentially trade secret information. And so every employee who works for an organization should have an obligation to, to maintain the confidentiality of their employer's confidential, proprietary, and trade secret information. And then third, the last acknowledgement that I would want in there, if you are an FMLA covered employer, I would want a separate acknowledgement of the employer's FMLA policy. And again, the reason is exactly the same as my reasoning for wanting that separate acknowledgement on the harassment discrimination policy. And that is, I don't want an employee coming back to me down the road and claiming ignorance about what was in a specific policy. And again, since those are the policies you're most likely to end up in litigation over, I do recommend, even though it is an administrative burden, I do recommend having those separate policy acknowledgements. Christine, I'm curious about your uh, thoughts on that. I agree. I think it makes perfect sense to me. And I think for all of us, for all employers, um, we should be, first of all, during orientation or whenever we roll out a new handbook, I think there needs to be a briefing with our employees, specifically directing them to those not that non-discrimination, uh, non-harassment policy, our FMLA policy, our confidentiality rules, all of those. I think we need to make that part of our rollout of our handbooks. I think we need to make it um, part of our orientation when people are onboarded. So I think that makes perfect sense. And certainly we want, as employers, we want to make it as easy as possible for our employment law attorneys to defend us when, not if, a lawsuit occurs. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not, not, not if, but when. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for participating today and providing us your valuable insights on employee handbooks. AIM does employee handbooks. Uh, you could see a little promo on the screen. Uh, yes. about what uh, what AIM offers to its members regarding uh, employee handbooks and uh, know that uh, most most uh, the employment law firms also uh, do employee handbooks, not that we're trying to compete with AIM, but we do uh, have a little bit of a different focus from a legal review standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, and so AIM offers uh, so, some really advantageous pricing uh, to, to get an employee handbook jump started. And uh, even after AIM uh, does a handbook, you still may want to have it submitted to legal counsel for review in any uh, particular jurisdiction in which you're operating. So I just may add in there for, uh, for our audio listeners that um, because we're showing this little pamphlet, this, uh, the handbook promotion that AIM is doing. And one thing that they can't see is that uh, to take advantage of the discount, there's a phone number. It's 314 754 0236 says 3147540236 and can get I think there's different different packages they have available. And with that we are wrapped up with our program. Stay tuned next week we're going to have Jim Plunkett from my firm's Washington DC office 
on to give us an update about all the goings on in D.C. And there's, of course, a lot. And so we will see you next week at 730 Central Daylight Time. And until then, go out and be good. <laughs> with, the, with the finger point. Love it. Thank you. Thank you once again for tuning in to This Week at Work. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your colleagues. Forward our invites. Share the link aimea.org forward slash this week at work or follow or subscribe wherever you get your news and entertainment like LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere you are. And you can be part of the show. Send your questions and comments anytime to info at thisweek.work. We'll see you next week, 7.30 a.m. Central Time, when we discuss what's happening this week at work.